is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, joining my co-host Nick. No Dan. Apparently, no internet in Seattle today, which is a big <laughs> bummer since it's like the second tech capital of the U.S. So, yeah, t- bad bad look for all of our tech friends in Seattle. <laughs> well, hopefully it comes back soon. We'll get him back on. But as you can hear, Matt Law is joining us again. This is another one of our Matt Law specials. Uh, and we're coming off of another international break, Matt. Not my favorite time, but hopefully you got some time to relax. Were you covering England? What What have you been up to last week and a half? Yeah, look, I, I, I was just talking to Nick before we started. It's It's been a... Um, it's been a quieter international break for me than usual because obviously the whole Newcastle thing has exploded and I've been covering it around the edges a little bit alongside covering England, but I'm not fully immersed in, in Newcastle. We obviously have a Northeast reporter. So I've kind of been enjoying watching that play out and just helping a little bit with it without having to be 24 hours on it. So I've actually managed to get a little bit of downtime, but yeah, covering England a little bit around Newcastle, which has just been the, the biggest story in town. It's kind of blown out. You know, it's blown apart the England coverage over over in England. You know, normally in International Weeks, England's back page and and the first thing on all the sports bulletins. But that that's been Newcastle for the last week now. I mean, understandably so. Anytime a Premier League club changes ownership hands, Nick, that sends ripples through the uh, the media and obviously the fans and everything. Because <laughs> now, hey, Newcastle next season, I think they're odds on favorite to win the league. Well, <laughs> uh, obviously, um, no, I, I thought it was. I thought it was so interesting that, you know, Newcastle fans finally got rid of Mike Ashley. I mean, this has been protest after protest, season after season. And they finally uh, they finally got what they wished for. So, um, you know, all's well that ends well, question mark. Well, we will find out because we're going to talk to Matt more about that as well. But, you know, just real quick, we're going to kick off with the season so far, like how we usually do. We'll look at the next run of fixtures. And after the break, again, Newcastle, Chelsea's blue uh well, Dan kind of is tripping me up on this. Chelsea Blue <laughs> Dior instead of Ballon d'Or. Uh, then we'll obviously look ahead of oh, January in the Club World Cup. What is going on with that? So anyways, Nick, let's kind of jump into it, um, you know, kind of recapping where we've been at so far. Again, coming out of an international break, we need some momentum heading back into Brentford. <laughs> oh, it's just been it's been so stop start. I mean, it's obviously our second international break. We have one more to come in November uh, before uh, another one in January and another one in March. I mean, this the World Cup cycle for next year is is kind of is heating up, Matt. But we're going to talk about Chelsea's season so far. Won the Super Cup. That was good. Top of the Premier League at the October break. Also good. Uh, five wins, one draw, one loss. Obviously, the loss to City, the draw at Liverpool. Uh, advanced in the League Cup uh, by the skin of our teeth. And then uh, Champions League got off to a kind of a bumpy year start in our group. You know, obviously the the tough win against Zenit and uh, a very bad performance against Juve. So I guess anything out of there that stands out, anything that you're looking at that might be troubling? Well, look, at the end of the day, seven games, top of the Premier League, you've already played Liverpool away, Manchester City at home and Tottenham away. I mean, I think, You'd have been taking that. I mean, that that's league terms. It's not all been perfect. Not all the performances have been perfect. But seven games in, having played three of three of what you would call your, your bigger games, and to be top of the league, 
you know, you can't really ask for a lot more. People do ask for a lot more because people always want perfection. But in context, that's an incredible start. It's a, it's a great platform for the rest of the season. So in terms of results and in terms of where you are, I think I think fantastic. I thought the the victory over Southampton just before the international break was a really important victory mm-hmm. just because of what a, those those two defeats before that game. And, and as you say, the performance against both of those clubs against City and Juventus was troubling those performances. And when it was one all against Southampton after they, they, they equalised and with the decisions going against Chelsea, you're worried for the momentum. I mean, you spoke about us just getting momentum before, after the international break, but you need that good feeling. It's, I always think it's quite important to try and have a big win before an international break. And that gave them the momentum. The only thing I would say is that game, I think, almost threw open the team selection. All of a sudden, Chelsea for so long under Tuchel, you could always pick, you know, if you wanted to pick the best team, it was pretty easy to pick the best team. And that that game and the last few weeks has, for me, thrown it wide open. It's not that easy to pick what you would call Chelsea's best team at the moment, probably mainly in midfield, because Jorginho, I think, has shown signs of a bit of fatigue, which is understandable. Uh Kovacic is a really hit or miss player for me. Some players, some games he's amazing. Other games his defensive weakness becomes a real problem. Kante again, the fitness is an issue. So that the midfield is a tough mix at the moment, a tough, a tough situation. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be interesting now for the Brentford game what team he selects because I, I couldn't pick it at the moment. I've got to be honest, given given some of the select selection sort of dilemmas that have, that have come up in recent weeks. Well, I mean, we're going to do our best on our match preview to, to kind of do that. But, you know, it, it was weird, you know, the, the Southampton match right before the international break to really frustrating, I think, a watch. Um, I was just, you know... I the, saw you getting frustrated on Twitter. I saw, I saw some frustrated tweets during I the game. I wasn't the only one. But it was just like... <laughs> I, it was great to see the team persevere through it all at the end of the day. I mean, really strong sense of characters. Um, you know, you, you were at Juventus for the draw, which, you know, it, we were kind of on this weird path where it was like, oh, are Chelsea going to come out of this? And then to be at the top of the table at the break, I think for me, was a really strong sign. Thankfully, results going our way. Um, I think City and Liverpool drew right for the break and United kind of stumbling a little bit as well. So, I mean, all things considered... It, it sounds like people are starting to question Tuchel and it seems a little unreasonable at this point of the stage and where we're at. I don't know. I think I think Tuchel would accept it. I don't think anyone, I, you know, obviously some people on Twitter will be, but I don't think anyone with credibility is questioning him to a point where they're being disrespectful or being, being over the top about it. But I think Tuchel would expect... When, when Chelsea lose two games in succession without scoring a goal and with only really having sort of one shot on target. Mm. Tuchel knows. I mean, we asked him some tough questions after the Juventus game about whether one shot on target is, is acceptable and whether this is a trend that's going to be worrying. And he didn't get he didn't get annoyed by that at all. He he fully knows that in a position like he's in and when you've become European champions, that these are legitimate questions. Um Look, I, I think it's actually been a good international break for Chelsea. Lukaku has scored for Belgium and played well for Belgium in it. And he had obviously not scored for a couple of games for Chelsea. So he will come back with with a lot of confidence, you would imagine. Timo Werner, who obviously got some confidence in that Southampton game, has then scored again for Germany 
And you would imagine he will come back feeling really good about himself after the Southampton game and, and scoring for Germany. Yeah. That's and Kai Havertz, yeah, who has been a real disappointment for me so far this season, bar mm. the first game of the season, he scored for Germany too. I don't know how he performed. I didn't watch the game, so I can't say he had a wonderful game. I don't know. But he scored, so you'd imagine he will come back with confidence. Pulisic looks as though he's used the international break to get fit. Looks like he'll be fit after the international break, uh, which which will add a little bit more unpredictability, maybe either off the bench or or to the starting lineup when when he can play with his pace. So I actually think it's been a very positive positive international break for Chelsea. Maybe it's come at a good time for a few players as well to just go away with their countries. I think Lukaku will have enjoyed going away with his country and, and playing maybe with a, with a team who's who a bit more familiar how to get the best out of him and, and scoring a goal and getting his confidence back up. So I, I think it might have come at a good time, time for, for those players. I mean, that was going to be one of my follow-up questions was just talking about the, the injury report and the, and the vaccination requirements that have been put in for, for some of the, the players who have traveled to international duty. Do you think, uh, I guess, first uh, that the vaccination requirements will kind of bite teams or are we going to see more players get vaccinated as they head out to their national team uh, setups just because of the role coming back? I personally hope so. I mean, we, we spoke to, I asked Mason Mount the question about it yesterday on England duty mm-hmm. saying to him, you know, you were, you were one of the two players who unfortunately sort of got pings while you were with England. And would, would that, was that a consideration in your decision? And he absolutely, it was a decision. And apart from anything, let, let, let's take the sort of health benefits because that's a very divisive subject at the moment. And we're probably here to talk more about football. But just from a football point of view with the vaccination, surely the managers don't want just the risk of those players. You know, if you're vaccinated now and you get pinged for being in close contact with someone, you don't have to isolate. It happened It happened to me after I came back from Turin. I got pinged after my flight back from Turin and I've been double vaccinated. I didn't have to isolate. Same for a footballer. And you would imagine while you're going away for international duty, just because you're travelling around that little bit more and there's not the same sort of bubbles, you would imagine there's more chance of you just getting a ping. And if you're vaccinated, it, it, it doesn't actually do anything. Tuchel was obviously didn't want to have a go at, at, at Kante the other day when he contracted COVID and couldn't play against Juventus. But uh, let's face it, Chelsea lost against Juventus. Would they have lost with Kante in the team? We can't say he wouldn't have got COVID if he if he had the vaccine because obviously Christian Pulisic has had COVID and he has been double vaccinated. But you want everyone to reduce their chances, don't you? And from a, I'm talking purely on a football basis now, you would imagine more and more players as they start travelling more and more and they come under pressure not to miss games, you would imagine that will become a factor in their thinking apart from the health health thing. It's, it's just like the simple logistics of it, right? I mean, Chelsea have a lot of players who play for international teams. Uh, there are, th- after this break, there are at least f- uh, three more international breaks this season. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's obviously an African Cup of Nations. R- correct, yep. And and so, like, that, that to me is just the this scenario, right? If we, if we know that many of our players are going to end up traveling with their international teams, like the, the better chance you have of getting them back and playing right away. If they're back, simple logistics. So 
Um, I guess the second question was going to be on the on the injury front. You already touched on Pulisic a little bit. Seems like he'll be fit and fighting. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know yet because it's a bit too early. But it, it, the the soundings are is that the Pulisic is, is going to be back after the international break, whether he's back immediately for the Brentford game or whether it's the Malmo game or something. But the feeling is is that he's he's going to be back. I think he's used it to get to get over his problems. So that's looking optimistic, albeit um, probably have a better idea of that in a couple of days' time when mm. when training becomes more normal and. And being able to talk to a few people becomes a bit more normal after international break. But yeah, so Pulisic is back. Um, Reese James, I think I was really confused by the whole Reese James thing because when I was out in Turin, I got told that Reese James was probably out for about four weeks. And then a couple of days later, he got picked for the England squad. And I just thought I'd been given bad information. But then obviously Tuchel came out and said, well, Reese James hasn't been out of the pool yet. Now that would have been getting on for two on Friday. It'll be two weeks since Tuchel said he hadn't even been out of the pool yet. So Brentford could come too soon for Reese James if that's all accurate. I would imagine. Um, Kante, I'm, I'm honestly not sure about on the, at, at this stage. I, I don't quite know where we are on Kante. If we go from the fact he was isolating from ten days from the Juventus game, then from a COVID perspective, he should be back. But but Kante's fitness is always a little bit hit and miss at the moment. So, And I'm, I'm struggling to think whether I've missed anyone out here. Rudiger, I think, missed a Germany game with a back problem, but I saw that the Germans were saying that that was very minor and more a precaution. Didn't seem to be a suggestion that he'll be out for Chelsea, but we'll have to check on that on Friday. Like I said, off the top of my head, I'm struggling to think of any others. So correct me if I've missed anybody out. Uh, that seems I mean, to be the list. The Reese James thing was ridiculous to me. Like the, it was crazy. I, I don't, I do not. I think it was an embarrassment on England and, and Southgate. Yeah. I, I do not know how that situation came about. I mean, look, if me as a journalist can make a call while I'm in Turin on the uh, would have been the Wednesday, and I can get back. Look, he's looking at around four weeks out from when he did the injury, so not from from then. If I can get that information, how an, an FA and an England manager can be in a position where he gets called up and it transpired of not spoken to Tuchel about it, I thought it was an embarrassing situation. And I thought Tuchel was brilliant in, in sort of actually exposing it as an embarrassing situation because I, I thought it was ridiculous. Called up for the water polo team. Yeah, exactly. I, I like that. That was, that was good. But yeah, I mean, it's a high ankle sprain. He's not... He's not coming back next week. Like, I don't think there's any way. No. And you wouldn't want him to. No, I mean, I, I know that they were relieved. I know that there was a real fear when he did the injury that he could have suffered real bad ankle ligament damage. I know, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the injury, there was a, a fear he was going to be out for months. So when I spoke to someone and they were saying, oh, well, it looks around four weeks, they, they were saying it was a real positive, to be quite honest with you, because I know there was a fear it, it, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's just kind of like this this back and forth. I mean, Nick, you say you wouldn't want them. England has their own priorities, to be fair. And that always goes back to the club and country debate, which, again, we don't need to reinvigorate. But again, it's 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 alive and well. And this is a prime example of it. I'm sure we're not the only club that probably were disappointed in that. I'm sure other people have their own issues with their national teams. Um, but just, just lastly, before we hit the break, Matt, it, I mean, Brentford, Malma, Norwich, Southampton in the EFL Cup and Newcastle. 
Um, you know, Brentford away, Newcastle away, the rest of them at home. Really favorable run of fixtures for Chelsea in this sense. And I think, you know, you're talking about one shot on goal, not performing well against City or Juventus, a real opportunity to kind of seize a lot of points and a critical point of the season. Um, and then also my worry is the narrative from usually opposing fans that Lukaku only scores against small teams. So watch him just tear it up and everyone still write him off. <laughs> Brentford, I think will be a difficult match. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen Brentford uh, twice live this season. They remind me a little bit of Sheffield United in the season. They came up. They've got a lot of momentum behind them from their promotion. They've got, a very strong spirit behind them. They've got a style of play, which they're extremely good at, which can catch teams out. And they're physical. They're big. They're a very big team. They're physical. They will pump long throws into the box. And they they, they have a real air of that Sheffield United team in, in the first season that they came up. And I think any team facing Brentford, certainly up until Christmas, is going to have a tricky game. Um It'll be interesting after Christmas whether that when the momentum starts to, to disappear a little bit, it, it might get easier to play them. But I think this is a hard time to play Brentford. Look, I expect Chelsea to win. And, and what I would say is I think you'll always get chances against Brentford because they do try and sort of play out from the back a little bit and they do take risks at the back. So I do think there are goals to be had against Brentford and I'd expect Chelsea to score goals. But as we saw against Liverpool, they they can cause problems too. And, and Tony, Tony's a good a good striker Tony's a handful um, and they've got a very good goalkeeper actually too so I, I don't see that one being an easy game albeit you would definitely look at those fixtures and say it's an opportunity for maximum points which would ensure you remain top of the table and could even give you a little gap going into the next international break I think the important thing in this next run of fixtures is to really get the Champions League um, campaign mm-hmm. going because I didn't think Chelsea were great against Zenit. I thought they were lucky to win that game. And obviously, they, they weren't very good in Juventus. And look, you'd expect them to wipe the floor with Malmo. But they need a good performance. And and any slip-up, if they were to slip up, they'd be in trouble in the group then. you know. So they really can't afford a slip-up. And I wouldn't expect it in a million years. But they, they cannot afford one because then you're in trouble in the group. And in actual fact, what you want is a a convincing performance and a convincing victory just to get that Champions League campaign sort of motoring because the next two games against Malmo, you know, goal goal difference and, and all that, I know it comes onto the head-to-head first, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that it gets down to the nitty-gritty in that group. With If, if, everybody, if everybody just wipes the floor with Malmo, that group will be tight now. Well, again, I mean, got to go out and do the work. Uh, it looks favorable, you know, but there's always, at the end of the day, you got to play the match and go out and do it. But I think most of us Chelsea fans are looking at this saying, great opportunity, stay at the top, stay near the top, maybe even extend the lead at the top. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. Obviously, like Malmo, you'd assume quick victory. Norwich, bottom of the table. Southampton in the EFL Cup, that might prove tricky, especially based on the last time we just played him in the league. And then Newcastle away, who knows what that's going to be like, but that's a great transition uh, into talking about Newcastle. But right before we do that, we're going to take a break. Thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. So, Nick, Newcastle, huh? Next holiday? Yeah, wow. Um, uh, well, they, they've recently completed somewhat of a takeover, uh, Matt, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a large one. Mike Ashley out, uh, new, new Saudi ownership in. Um, 
you you recently talked about you know what is going to be a a long term project at Newcastle, right? This is not a you know come in and and win the league next season type of deal. But you you recently tweeted about a a person that you think would be well suited to enter the the front office uh, of of Newcastle United and and you know maybe talk about what he might bring to that club after kind of some a period of mediocrity. Look, if, if we're to believe Newcastle and, and their owners in terms of what they want to do. They're talking a lot about long-term and strategy and academy and building a real infrastructure. And from my mind, there's nobody better qualified to do that who's who's available than, than Michael Emanalo, who, who did it at Chelsea. You know, he helped to build the academy. He built an infrastructure with the loan system. He built a scouting network, which obviously at one point featured really relied heavily on Belgium when Belgium was not a fashionable country to go to go scouting. You know, Andre Villas-Boas once famously said to him, why are we signing everyone from Belgium? We should be signing Brazilian footballers. And, and, and Michael said, no, I'm, the, the future's in Belgium at the moment, not Brazil. Um, and he, if they want to basically grow a club from the, the bottom up and put in infrastructure that would make them a world-class club and a European superpower, Michael's the guy to do it. Michael's the guy. He knows how to build an academy. He knows how to set up a scouting network. He he even helped develop a, a computer rival to Scout that Chelsea used because they didn't want to use Scout anymore because they were worried that, you know, it was getting hacked into by rivals and things like that. As we saw, there was a case between Liverpool and Man City. Chelsea were on to that years before that that could happen and therefore Michael helped develop their own system so that nobody else could hack into it. Um, I mean, just the, the level of detail and, and obviously he's used to working with, you know, the pressure of somebody who wants to, you know, win everything and who's got a lot of money to spend to, to try and make everything head that way. So he would just be the perfect appointment for them. He really would. Um, if they did actually appoint him, I think quite a lot of other clubs would have something to fear because it would show that they know what they're doing, that they're willing to trust the right people. Um, so maybe rival fans shouldn't want them to appoint him. Um, but yeah, he, he would be perfect. And, and, you know, Newcastle can't, you can't do what Man City did anymore. You can't just go and spend sort of 250 million in one go and and go from sort of, I mean, Man City didn't do this, but you can't go from, 18th place to top four in one season because FFP just won't allow you to do it. Um, it's actually a big gripe of mine with FFP um, that it's it's very anti-competitive in that sense. Um, so they will have to do it over three to four years. But in four years, there is absolutely no reason why in four years they can't be in the top four. And with the amount of money that they have, even though I'm sure they will make mistakes along the way and there will be bumps in the road, they can't really fail you know, uh, long-term, they can't fail. They are going to get in that top four at some stage. They are going to win the league at some stage. You cannot fail with that level of backing. It can take you longer than it should take you because you can make a lot of mistakes. There can be bumps in the road. You can waste a lot of money. But you, they will get there. They will get there, definitely. Not to say they will stay there either because, you know, everyone thought Man City might one day sort of get to a level where they just win the league every single season, win the Champions League every single season. We've seen that 
it's actually even with all the backing it's very difficult to do that because it is so competitive and the rest of the top four aren't just going to disappear um but but Newcastle will get there eventually for sure. I remember when I first started watching the Premier League, Newcastle were a, you know a big team, and if nothing else, they were an iconic team, very recognizable. Mm. And it was always fun they had the Newcastle beer shirt sponsor for the team, right? So it was just you know kind of doubled up in that sense. And you know obviously Newcastle have a lot of history. They've been uh, in a weird position, you know. But Mike Ashley wanted out. The fans wanted him out. Like they were good. <laughs> he just couldn't couldn't find the right deal. Um, and I think it was what, 300 million for the club at this point. So, um, and again, that they have a big stadium, you know, they have the infrastructure, they're in a, you know, a colder part of the country, which is that the funny clip that's making the rounds when Griezmann said, Hey, on football manager, I signed Mbappe to Newcastle and Mbappe just goes too cold and shook his head, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they'll figure it out. But Matt, to your point about Amanalo, sneaky, and we know how big of a fan of him you are. But I think that's what they have to figure out. Do they get a director of football first or are they going to get a coach first? I mean, uh, allegedly sacking Steve Bruce imminently. But if they go coach first, then director of football, they've already now made the first mistake. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Personally, I, I think you've got to... They've probably got to sack Steve Bruce because otherwise you don't you need to get rid of all the negativity around the club first because you can't get stuck into any cycle of negativity where with where they are in the table but they have an assistant in graham jones who probably could take over in a sort of longer term caretaker capacity and and do an, an adequate job um but for me i i agree i agree that the way around you should be doing it is you should be appointing a chief executive a sporting director and then a manager if you do it backwards, it doesn't look like the manager's probably going to last for very long because he can't have been the choice of the chief executive and the technical director unless you've got conversations going on in the background whereby people who are going to come into these roles are actually going to be involved in the decision-making process, albeit in an unofficial sense. So there are ways around that. But I, I w- I'm with you. I would always, of those three appointments, I think that the manager should be the last appointment, albeit... I still think they have to sack Steve Bruce, but you would, in my mind, you would put Graham Jones in charge for a little while. Is, is it all happening too fast for them this season? I mean, they are they are clearly one of the bottom three teams on on performance so far this year. They need to start digging themselves out. Like that, hiring a chief executive, hiring director of football, you know, depending on how well prepared you are, could take. A month could take a lot longer than that to find the right person to to you. Uh, I guess utilize the investment that you've given them. Like, is this all just too condensed? Do you think, or is it going to happen? It, look, it is condensed, but I, I don't think they've got a great squad. But I do think they've got a squad that has shown it's capable of staying in the Premier League. So, and with the momentum and the good feeling behind them and the, the, the stadium behind them, I do actually think that will play quite a significant part. And I think they, in the next few weeks, will actually pick up a few results. You know, I, I could even see them beating Tottenham on Sunday um, because they've got players. They've got Callum Wilson who can score goals. They've got some Maximum who can do something out of nothing. They've got a couple of midfielders who are OK. <laughs> if they can just get a wind of momentum behind them, they will pick up the odd result and there are a lot there are sort of five or six quite bad teams in the premier league and this should be enough and then you, you as long as they can get to january in their 
they're in touch and they're you know they're not marooned in the bottom three that that, that they should be all right from that perspective but yeah it is a race against time i mean obviously in in the middle of a season and have with them having not won a game yet this season just put a lot of pressure on them to try and make quick appointments well the joke from matt cav 11 on our discord saying is uh is alan st maximin the biggest winner here because he's no longer gonna have to carry the team on his back so (laughs) (laughs) obviously a lot has come down to him um moving on chelsea blue door uh a terrible rip off on ballon d'or but what mm. the point is here is that Jorginho, Angolo Kante, Mason Mount, Cesar Espilicueta, Romelu Lukaku have all been named in the 30-player Ballon d'Or shortlist while there are five players, Fran Kirby, Pernilla Harder, Sam Kerr, Magda Eriksson, and Jesse Fleming all nominated for the 20-strong women's award. Does a Chelsea player win either award? I mean, we've got a lot of names in the hat. You have. Um Look, I would be surprised on the women's if you do, because they didn't win the Champions League, did they? And I always think that that does play a big part in these these sort of global awards. So I'd maybe be quite surprised. That's not to say they're not deserving, but I'd, I'd be quite surprised on the women's side if you did have a winner. The men's side is interesting. I, the, do you know what, though? The standout for me is how is Edouard Mendy not in that list? How is he not in the list? Bias. I mean, goalkeepers uh, K- aren't Navas. Yeah, Kaylor Navas came out, I think, a couple of days ago and said there should just be a separate Ballon d'Or for goalkeepers because the it's consideration's just, never there. It it's is just very different. Insane. I mean, I, mean I, I, I've, I don't like the Ballon d'Or anyway. I, I don't really value it, if I'm quite honest with you. I, I don't think it's, I don't think individual awards in in football are, are particularly valuable, and I always think the Ballon d'Or seems, um, I always find it a head scratcher, to be quite honest with you. And, I just cannot believe how you can vote for the 30 best players in the world and not have Edouard Mendy in there. It, it drives me insane. I mean, look, if you were asking me who it was, who it would be, I would always say Kante. Um, because I just think in those big ga- in the biggest of big games last season, he was just absolutely phenomenal. So he would be my pick. Um, but, I mean, it's incredible when you go through those names in, in the men's and women's side, how many chances? That's just insane. It's, Absolutely it's, insane. It's one-fifth of all players nominated are Chelsea wow. players, which is is pretty crazy, uh, 10 out of 50. Um, yeah, N'Golo Conte is by far, I, I think this is by far his best chance to win it. If he were ever to win it, he's, to me, just the best player in the world. And I, I do I do thoroughly rate him. I do want to give a special shout out though to Cesar Espilicueta, um, mm. who who will not win the award, but the fact that he's nominated when so many people, um, prominent Chelsea accounts, a lot of fans wrote him off four or five seasons ago. Like this is not a short term boy. In the last season, he's really fallen off. They they a lot of people have written him off for a long time. The fact that he's a Ballon d'Or finalist even at, at his age after what he achieved last season I, i'm just really really pleased for him and the same brandon for mason mount i mean you know, for for all of the hoopla around open field assists and everything like that it's almost as if the ballon d'Or committee looked at him and said you know that's a top quality footballer right there yeah. on, on aspi laqueta just let me if i could just dive in this time last year aspi laqueta was was a substitute wasn't he you know it's just, it's insane how Aspilicueta came back again from that because even I was thinking that Aspilicueta had, had probably reached his peak and 
was disappearing over the other side of the hill this time last year. Um, and just see see how he's done and see his determination and see his leadership quality is unbelievable. I mean, he, he will be, look, it's not for me to say because I'm not a Chelsea fan, but he will surely be a bona fide Chelsea legend. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Asby's knocking in the assists again. You know, he's found that pocket mm-hmm. uh, where he had success in Antonio Conte. Um, but Angola Conte doesn't have the stats, but he has the eye test for days. You just look at what he does in a match, and he opens up everything for everyone around him. He closes everything down defensively. Uh, I mean, carried the team. I love, love the Aspies getting recognition back in the Spain squad. Even Alonso's back in the Spain squad, you know, and, and they just won whatever like interim tournament that was just going on no they lost in the final to france oh yeah that's right anyways they made the final i knew that so i got close to shows you how much football i've watched this international break it's been none outside of the u.s which also means i've watched none because they are not playing soccer it is (laughs) turgid um but anyways yeah and so just to see these guys and recognition is great that the fact that chelsea women have the most Uh, players nominated from a single team. I mean, it just reminds us that, oh, yeah, last season, Chelsea had a really, really good season. The men and women making the Champions League final, obviously the men winning, and then the Euros. I mean, Jorginho has to be a shout just, again, he won the the Euros player of the year. Um, He's won the Euros with Italy and obviously won the Champions League. So those things always will help him. But um, you know, it's a, it's a, again, just, I think a, a proud moment for the club to, to see all the recognition that all these different players are getting and an injustice for Edouard Mendy. I appreciate that, Matt. That was really kind of you to bring up. Um, <laughs> fan favorite though, is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, mm. a man reinvented? Possibly, possibly with this slightly new role, he, he, he seems to, um, he seems to be reveling in actually at the moment. Um, yeah, I, look, I'm I'm really delighted for him because he was just. I, I know for a fact that all he wanted in the summer was to get the chance to grab it at Chelsea this season. Now he knows that it might not be enough to to play every game. That that he can't dictate that because at the end of the day, you know, the manager will decide who his first choice midfield is. And it might be a case that there's nothing Ruben can almost do to get ahead of it when they're all fit. But I know Ruben almost for his own peace of mind wanted to have that chance and to grab it and to show it. And then from from what happens from now almost is 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 kind of what will be will be. But he he has done that. He has done that. He has got the opportunity against Villa in the Carabao Cup initially. And then he's obviously against Southampton, had the opportunity from the start. And he has really grasped it with with two hands and given Tuchel something to think about. And just also, I think, probably proven something to himself. You know, the, the loan at Fulham last season didn't go badly, but it probably didn't go as well as he wanted it to. And I think he probably had something in his head he did want to prove to himself. And I think... Just in that last few weeks before this international break, I think he's probably done that. And it will be really fascinating now. You know, if you were to pick the team for Brentford purely on form, then Ruben has to be in it. But we know that managers don't... Yeah, but and he didn't travel. He's not played any international football. You would imagine he's, he's feeling absolutely fantastic. But we also know that not 
every team selection is made on form because you have to look at balance and you have to look at, you know, if Kante is available, does that change things and, and blah, blah, blah. But if you were pick, if you were to go through purely on form of Chelsea players at the moment, then then Ruben makes the team. And the other thing he's done is, I think regardless of of what team Tuchel picks for Brentford is, at the moment Ruben has has pushed himself into the the, the four midfielders and relegated Saul out of the four midfielders. He's 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 pushed his way in there at the moment, and it's whether he can then stay in there or whether Saul can sort of fight his way back. But I mean, Ruben, I'm really, really delighted for him because he deserved this luck. And let's face it. I think the club owed him a little bit of this as well for the, the, the game he got injured in and the nature of his injury at a time when he was flying. I think the club did have to take a little bit of responsibility for that. Albeit that game was for a great cause and for a great reason, but I, I think they owed him a little bit for that. And they've been good for that. They, they've, they've treated him well on the back of that. He, he got a new contract and they've made sure he's had opportunities. And he's really deserved it. He's really just deserved a break. That pitch was super unsafe. I talked with Cody exactly. Crocker, who played with New England. You know, they laid sod for that. It, it just wasn't executed well. And he was the victim of that, unfortunately. Nick, it is impressive with Ruben. His preseason performances were not great. We were not glowing about him but he has grown into the season and now i regret not getting a ruben loftus cheat kit yeah <laughs> see, see that's the problem um yeah look i mean i'm obviously very pleased i love ruben but i i think i i made the comment matt the other day that i think he at this stage in the season could be one of if not our most important player because the midfield as you illustrated earlier conte out Jorginho maybe not playing his best. Kovacic playing better, certainly, but up and down. Like he could be a really valuable asset in this stretch in October and early November, where players are maybe kind of finding their feet again. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping he does it. I really, yeah. Am. And and like you say, he's fresh. He he didn't have to go anywhere in the summer, which virtually the rest of the squad did have to. He won't be. I don't think even if he if he carries on playing for Chelsea, I don't see him suddenly breaking into that England midfield again um, quickly enough to have to go on any international duty in the next couple. So he's going to be around a lot. So you're right. I think that it could be big. And look, purely from a business perspective as well, if it gets to January or if it gets to the end of the season and he just can't get break back in, all of a sudden the interest will be up there again. and he's, He becomes an asset and a value, valuable asset again which again is key for Chelsea because in the summer they had no they had no proper inquiries for Ruben and no proper inquiries for Ross Barkley who also against Southampton mm. has, has shown a little chink of light for him for himself. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to the final question Matt and get you out of here uh, on a Tuesday. Uh Club World Cup. What in the hell is happening? <laughs> so, um one of my colleagues John Cross at the Daily Mirror wrote an article about this recently and he he's quite good at these kind of things and the, the, I think the decision there's a there's a meeting due on about October the twentieth, um, a FIFA meeting whereby this will get discussed. But the the feeling that John Cross is writing about is that, that there's now a feeling it could get postponed for another year, which I think would do Chelsea a favour. I think I think the calendar mm. is potentially a problem for Chelsea because as I as I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the vaccine stuff, a lot of people forget about the African Cup of Nations as well, which Obviously, Edward Mendy will be involved in. Um, 
someone remarked to me actually the other day after Kepper had had one of his, his good games is that, you know, I think it was maybe after the Tottenham game, someone said that's huge because they're going to have to, there's going to be two or three games for sure that Kepper has to play when Mendy goes away. So it's huge to keep uh, Kepper in some sort of form and confidence. And so if you've got the African Cup of Nations, which I think is a little problem for Chelsea, and then you factor the World Club Cup on top of that, I think that would make the schedule very difficult for Chelsea mm-hmm. um, and potentially impact the title race. Um, so it's probably something we will ask Tuchel about on Friday, but whether he can say it publicly, but I would imagine privately the, the club wouldn't be too disappointed if that competition was postponed. It, it looks to me like a nuisance for them. It doesn't look like there's a lot to be gained from it, from, from them. And yet for sponsors and for everything else, I think there's no way they're going to go out to a Club World Cup and just play a team of kids. You know, they're going to play, have to play good teams if you go out to a Club World Cup because it's it's probably worth quite a lot of money. Isn't the real World Cup next fall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I've, so it's beyond like me of how they January calendar. 2023 at this point? Yeah, it's just like, and then, and then aren't they going to be behind one? They're going to have new people... I, Look, not my problem. Don't ask but me how the football calendar works. Yeah, I have no, no idea how the football <laughs> no calendar shot. works. No shot. But <laughs> I just, well, at the same point, yeah, like locking it in in January would be really hard on Chelsea and Tuchel and obviously Premier League, you know, right for Champions League and stuff like that. We'll have to see it all plays out. But, you know, if you could almost kick it down the road and be like, ah, not this season's problem, to your point, I think a lot of Chelsea fans, even Tuchel, would be like, we will take that. We will, okay, let's reassess at that point. But it sounds like it's going to be a massive inconvenience whenever it's played. So, lovely. <laughs> you're, you're right. It's it's going to always be an inconvenience. But who knows how the schedule is going to work out. It's a real head, head scratcher. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I don't think it will help, certainly, Chelsea this season to have to do that, particularly with the timing, particularly in the same year as an African Cup of Nations. So, let's see. Yeah. Well, uh, many priorities to juggle as always, Nick. As always, <laughs> big team, big team problems. We'll call it that. Well, anyways, Matt, thanks for joining us mm. again on this Tuesday. Really appreciate the, the time no and insight. Uh, we're excited. Football club football is back. Uh, looking forward to get into it, with Brentford. So we'll we'll come at you with a match preview uh, before that one. But anyways, always go follow Matt. Go thank him on social media for coming on, sharing his time. Uh, but that's gonna wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.